KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. It's funny how I found out I became a flyer. I was flagging traffic. My first year, I made $7,500 in Boston, so you needed another job. And about 10 after 7 on a Tuesday morning, a guy comes by and he says, I just heard your name in radio. I says, oh, yeah. He says, what do you hear? He says, I hear he got drafted by the Philadelphia Flyers. And what? And our guest this week is Joe Watson, longtime flyer, one of the best defensemen in team history, a two-time Stanley Cup winner. And Joe, thanks so much for taking the time. Well, Matt, it's always a pleasure, man. I love talking to people from KYW because whenever I'm drawing someplace, I turn into KYW right now to find out where the traffic is, and then I go from there. Well, that's what we like to hear. So you were with the Flyers in one capacity or another, you know, your playing days and then beyond for more than five decades, and you just retired uh, this year. Uh, what's life been like since you uh, retired? Well, Matt, you can only golf so many times. <laughs> so, you know, I have to find other things to keep me busy, and I do. There's a friend of mine has a buffalo farm out in Kenneth Square, Billy Rubin, a good friend of mine. I've known him for a long time, and he has buffalo, and uh, I was an investor in his farm for a while in the buffalo, and uh, so I go up there and help him. You know, we move hay around. He has horses. His wife is in the horse business, and uh, so I go out there and help him move the hay around and the straw and feed the animals and... Uh, and, and then, of course, I played golf, and uh, I was a gar- I love gardening. And, of course, I moved from a new location, from an old location to a new location here about uh, three months ago. So, consequently, I don't have a garden anymore. So, I've got to find other things to keep me occupied. But I do, I do keep occupied, and uh, I wish it was a little more busier than I am, but uh, I kind of keep myself busy. That's what I try to do, yeah. Mention a lot of different capacities. Talk about once your playing days were done, all the different things you did with the Flyers. I, I think a lot of people might not be aware how many different hats you wore over the years. When I when I I had to retire, I broke my leg very severely, and uh, I was with Colorado for six weeks. Prior to that, I was with the Flyers, and when you have after a season, you have a year end uh, meeting with the uh, the general manager and the coach, and so on and so forth. This is 1978, and they they asked me, they wanted me to stick around, but they wanted to start breaking some younger guys in, and I, I informed that I'd rather keep on playing, so they they traded me to Rockies, but I I go to the Rockies, I'm, right there, I'm there six weeks, and I break my right leg in 13 places and end my career, and I have numerous operations in my right leg, and but I'm as good as new now, but uh, and then I came back to the Flyers, and I started doing the scouting, advanced scouting, preceding the team, and going out and giving reports on the various uh, play, the teams we were playing against, and and I give reports to do that. And I was traveling a lot extensively, and I had a young family at the time, and it was very difficult to uh, be gone for ten days to two weeks, and then come back for three or four days and be gone again. And I did that for five or six years, and then in 1985, I started selling advertising for the Flyers, and I was doing I did that for 34, 35 years, advertising in the building as well as the Flyers, and it worked out very well for myself. Uh, so that's what I've been doing, and now that I'm retired, i got to find more things to fulfill my time. And it's very difficult. It really is. I, I never thought it would be that difficult, Matt, but it is difficult. Holy gosh. But I'm getting there. So let's talk about you grew up. You were born and grew up in British Columbia, correct? Yeah, in a place called Smithers, British Columbia, which is 
750 miles north of Vancouver and 150 miles south of Alaska, and way up north where the winters are very, in those days, the winters were very cold. You know, in those early days, we lived in a house that wasn't a very big house, and uh, we had no bathrooms in our house, so we had outhouses at the outdoor, and we had to go, when you had to go to the bathroom, you had to do that, and it was very difficult when it's 30 below zero. But, you know, I started my career as a young boy, and I, it's funny how somebody can make such an impact in your life. There was a guy named Claude Munson. He was a local druggist in Smithers. And we're playing a closing team. And I grabbed the puck one day and went through the whole team and scored a goal. Then I was seven years old. And he said, Joey, you keep on playing like that. You'll play in the National Hockey League one of these years. And, you know, to this day, Matt, it still sticks with me. 71 years ago, that he, he said those words to me. And I do some motivational talks and speaking. And uh, I always mention those words. You never know when somebody's going to make such a big impact in your life. And I still use that today when I talk. And you were one of six boys growing up, correct? Yes, there were six boys. And, of course, two of us made the league, uh, made the National Hockey League, my brother and I, obviously. But when you look at our little town, 900 people where I was living there, Matt, and I left there, now there's 6,000 people. We've had eight or nine guys that made the National Hockey League that come from a little town such as that. So it's really amazing for a town that size to be that successful and and their hockey programs to create that many good players that can make the National Hockey League. So growing up, was it hockey 24-7? Was hockey kind of the central of, of your life growing up? Yeah, it was. You know, uh, when you come from an area like that, the summer times are only three months, two and a half, three months uh, long. I did a lot of fishing and hunting. Uh, but prior to that, uh, it was all it was all basically hockey. But I, we played baseball in the summertime. But like I said, the the summers are, are so short and we had baseball from May until the end of August. And that was it. And then the, sometimes the snow started falling in September and <laughs> you can't play baseball anymore. But, but other than that, that's the only base of the sports that I played up in that area. I did a lot of curling, curling and, 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 and toboggan, but not skiing, but those are some of the various sports that I played. And uh, so there weren't a lot of sports, but I played some and I really enjoyed the sports that I played. Did all your brothers play? I mean, I know obviously your brother that went to the NHL, but did you guys all play together? Were you like well, I mean, six, no, six guys? You could be your own variation. team. Yeah, right, right. Well, we, there was such a variation in age. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm 78, then I have my youngest brother is 52. So there's quite an age uh, gap. And uh, so we were. Ne- I was never around to play with my brothers. I played against them when we had some summer games up there in my hometown. We have a golf tournament up there. Uh, every other year, and uh, we always have a hockey game associated with the, the golf tournament, and uh, and I get a chance to play against my brothers there. Some of my brothers, yes, but uh, but it was a lot. It's all a fun playing against your uh, your siblings and beating them. <laughs> I not always say we beat them, but we we did a good job against them. So you mentioned the the gentleman who tells you if you keep doing this, you're going to play in the NHL. When does as you're a teenager? When do, when do you start to get on that track to go professional? I stayed in that track pretty well all, all my all my earlier years. Uh, I just knew I wanted to do that when he made such an impact to me. And that reinforced my mind that I maybe I did have a chance to make the National Hockey League. And, uh, and then at 16 years old, uh, we went to, uh, we represented the northern part of British Columbia in the B.C., uh, midget hockey championships in a place called Prince George, British Columbia. 
And there was a team from Vancouver, a team from uh, Kamloops, British Columbia, and then the host team, and then us. And we go there, and we go to the finals. We beat the, the host team, and then we go to the finals against Kamloops, and they beat us. But after the game, after this game, there was a guy came down and, and uh, knocked on our door and introduced himself. It was a scout from Vancouver for the Boston Bruins. And he said he really liked our team. He informed our coach that he liked our team, and he liked some of the players. And one of the players was me, and he and, and they informed me that they were interested in taking me to Estevan, Saskatchewan, to try out for junior hockey team in 1960. So I was very excited about that. And to this day, Matt, I still have the letter inviting me to training camp in 1960. I, I'm kind of a hoarder. I save everything. And I'm doing a book right now with a, with a writer, and I'm bringing all these things up. And he says, my God, this, this is 60 years old, he said. I said, yeah, I still have a letter, but that's that's when I really realized that I maybe had a chance. So so uh, we go down to Estevan, Saskatchewan training camp in 1960. It's 2,800 miles. It took us five days to get there because the roads up there matter, not paved, dirt roads and everything else. And, uh, <laughs> and a lot of things could happen. Uh, but anyway, we finally get down to Estevan in September. And the general manager is a guy named Scotty Monroe. And the coach is Howie Milford. And so then away they, they, they have a meeting with all the players they invited. There was 104, 104 players they invited to, to try out for four positions on the team. And when I found that out, I went to the scout. And the scout invited me. I said, why did you invite me to something like that? There's 104 guys trying to go for four positions. He said, Joey, if I didn't think you had a chance, I wouldn't have invited you. That's all I had to hear. So after five days, you know, I had a, I had, I thought, I said to myself, I got to do something to catch their eye because there's so many players. So I got three or four fisticuffs. I don't think I won one, but you know what? I ended up making the team and that was it. So they signed me to a contract, which I was kind of shocked, this contract to play hockey. And they said, yes. So they offered me $75 every two weeks. And I was room and boarding at a house and, uh, and $60 for room and board, and I had $15 to spend, and I thought I was living high high off the hog, man. I'm in hillbilly heaven. I'm playing hockey and making some money. <laughs> and uh, so that was the start of my career. Did it feel, from a hockey standpoint, did you feel comfortable right away? Was it a little overwhelming going up to that level, or was it just well, Yeah, because I was young. I was young. I was only 16, and a lot of the players I was playing against uh, you know, were, you know, 18, 19, 19 year old guys. And, and that they were much more physical than myself. Cause I wasn't that big. I was about 170 pounds at the time. Uh, but I just had to find other ways to succeed and be successful. And so I stayed around in Esteban for the first year and I wasn't really playing a lot. So they wanted me to go to the uh, North Battleford, Saskatchewan to, uh, to uh, play for their junior B team, which I did. And I, I, I was very successful there. I made the all-star team and the all and 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 so that was very good for me. So that really benefited me next year when I came back to Estevan and started my uh, junior aid career there. And but initially it was very difficult. And I was I was in grade eleven at the time as a student, and I felt that I could learn more playing hockey than I could as a student. I really wasn't a great student. I I was more interested in uh, in sports than I was at being a student, and uh, it worked out well for myself. But in 1984, uh, I went back to my uh, Delaware Community College in, in, uh, in Delco there and went and got back. I went and got my grade 12 <laughs> and I was 44 years old in, in the class. And 
And uh, all the students were 18, 19, 20 years old. The teacher was 22 years old. And and he used to always address me as Mr. Watson. I said, no, 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 it's different. I, I'm the student. You're my mentor. And I got to address you as Mr. So-and-so. He says, no, that's not the way it is. So I, but I never forgot that. I went back and got my grade 12 after being out of school, you know, 30-some years or whatever it was, you know. And did the, the people you were in the class with, once they realized, how long did it yeah, take they, they realized they, who they you were and stuff like I that? Was. They knew who I was, yeah. So that was nice. And we had, and when I did graduate and I and I passed, passed, uh, we had a party. And and so I signed quite a few autographs uh, at this party and had some pictures I gave out and everything else, yeah. So when you were growing up, did you gravitate to defense? Or was it something that the coaches put you there because of your skill set? How did you kind of evolve into a defenseman? Well, what happened was we were going down to a tournament uh, when I was 14 years old, down to a place called, called Cornell, British Columbia. And we're driving down there. One of the kids got really sick and we only had three defensemen. So the coach asked me to go back and play defense. And uh, and that was it. I stayed in defense uh, the rest of my career. But uh, that's how that started playing defense. And I'd never played it before. But, you know, if you can skate, you can play defense, you know, and uh and if you can analyze things when they're coming down on you, anticipate the play before it happens. You can always break up some plays and anticipate what's going on in the ice. So uh, the transition was pretty, pretty easy for myself, you know, because I understood the game. So you're going through juniors, through the minors. You get to the NHL, I believe, in the 64-65 season. Do you remember how you learned you were getting a chance to play for Boston? Well, yeah, it's funny. It, it, Detroit was my favorite team. Detroit, all the Detroit teams were my favorite team. And I'll tell you why. In 1953, 1953, my mother said, we want to go down and visit our friends in Bessemer, Michigan. And we took a train ride seven days on a train, and it was hotter than the hinges of heck. out. It was 90, 95 every day. And we very seldom got off the train. And we we, we slept in these, these seats for seven days. So we get down there to Bessemer, Michigan. And my brother, my cousin said, uh, Joey, would you like to watch? This is a Saturday afternoon. Would you like to watch a baseball game, a black and white baseball game next day on, on TV? And the Detroit Tigers are playing the old St. Louis Browns. And I said, sure. And uh, and so anyway, we watched, we watched the game, and that's how I became a Detroit fan in all sports. All sports with the exception of, of course, the Red Wings because uh, I was with the Bruins organization. But my very first game I ever played in the National League was against the Red Wings in Detroit. And I got called up to play for four games. And uh, it was kind of ironic that I had a chance to play against my favorite team <laughs> growing up. But I remember the experience very well. I, you know, I mean, they had the great team and, and Boston was kind of a, a younger team and, and languishing in the rec in the league, but they were developing like all their good young players. And, and uh, so I was fortunate to go up there and play some games. And, uh, but I played against my favorite player was Red Kelly. He was a defenseman of the Detroit Red Wings. And, of course, Gordy Howe was there, and there was guys, Ted Lindsay and all the Alex Delvecchio, all these great players that Detroit had. It was quite a rewarding thing for myself to get an opportunity to play against my favorite team and my some of my favorite players growing up as a young boy. That first taste of the NHL with the Bruins, is it overwhelming? Does it feel comfortable? Are you going a million miles a minute? What's it like? Well, it was uh, adjustments. Always, you have to make adjustments because the, the the players in the elite league are better than the players in the minors. So obviously, you have to try to make adjustments. And 
sometimes that is that takes a little while for that to take hold. But uh, you know, I played. I guess I played four or five games uh, in that one stretch, and uh, then I went back to uh, uh, to Minneapolis, which is our farm team. Yeah, it, it's a little faster, obviously, and there's adjustments to make. But you try to anticipate. Like I say, playing a defense, you got to anticipate the play before it happens. You got to look around and see what's going on and where the puck carrier is and who has the puck and and the wingers that are open or not open. So you anticipate what they're going to do before they do it. And you try to anticipate that play and break it up. So there was some adjustment because the game was a little faster, obviously, Matt. Yeah. So you get that handful of games that season. And then the next year, uh, I think you played like 70 games. You were pretty much, you know, there the entire season with Boston. And then, uh, you go to the Flyers the next year. You were picked in the expansion draft, right? Right, right, right. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, I was fortunate to play with a guy named Bobby Orr, who I think is the best player that's ever laced a pair of skates. I know there's a lot of great players who played this game, beautiful game, but I just thought he revolutionized the game so much. So I was fortunate to play in Boston. In fact, him and I lived together. We had a house in Little Nahant outside of Lynn, Massachusetts. And I don't know if you remember this, but there was a guy named Albert DeSalvo. He was he was uh, the Boston Strangler. And we were living in in, in Lehat, and he was doing all his work in Lynn, Massachusetts, hurting all these people. And so we had a five bedroom home on the ocean in Boston. So we had we had we had when we went on the road for six, seven days, a lot of the families would move into our house and we had a security guard taking care of the house because of what was going on. And then, of course, he, they, 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 they captured him and everything else. But, uh, but my first year in Boston, uh, living, living what I thought was the best player in the game, and uh, to, to this day still, he was a, a guy that uh, revolutionized defense because there was never many guys that scored 20 goals. I think the only guy that ever scored 20 goals in the National Hockey League as a defenseman prior to Bobby Orr come along was a guy named Red Kelly, who was my favorite player growing up. He just changed the whole complexion of the game, uh, or did. And, uh, and I must say, we had a great time. I was, uh, I washed the dishes and vacuumed the house and he done all the cooking. So he was 18. I was 22 at the time. So, so, or 23, I guess it was, but, uh, I must say it was a great experience. And then I came to flyers in 67 and, uh, it's funny how I found out I became a flyer. I was, uh, I was out doing some work on the road. I was flagging traffic. Uh, when you play in the National League, Hockey League, my first year I made $7,500 in Boston. So you needed another job to compete, keep yourself going. So I ended up uh, flagging traffic, being a flag man on the highway. And, and about 10 after 7 on a Tuesday morning, a guy comes by and he says, I just heard your name in radio. I says, oh, yeah. He says, what do you hear? He says, I hear he got drafted by the Philadelphia Flyers. And what? I had no idea I was available because I had a real good year the year before, I thought. And uh they made me available and ended up coming to Philadelphia. And it was very upsetting to me initially, but you know, it turned out to be the best thing that ever happened in my life, Matt. Uh, we were very successful and we've had a great organization. And Mr. Snyder being always at the helm, we were always successful. And 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 that's the way he was. He All he wanted to do is win. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to win. Before we get into the Flyers a little more, did you ever pair with Orr on the ice yeah. as a pairing? Yeah, we, played, we played defense together when we were killing penalties. What happens in, in those days, you only had five defenses. You, you addressed five defensemen, you had 10 forwards and one goalie. That's all you had. And if a goalie got hurt, they always had a spare goalie around that would be there for the game just in case somebody had to go in and play for another team or whatever it was. But, but yes, yeah, so him and I, uh, we paired together a lot. And uh, 
So it was really, really wonderful to play. You know, he was 18 years old and I'm 22. We're playing defense together. And uh, we try to learn from each other. And uh, of course, being roommates too and living together, we, we had a good time together. But I'll tell you, my first year in Boston, my first full year in Boston, about the seven, eight minute mark of the first period, we had a game against Detroit in Boston. I go in the corner for a puck and a guy comes in and really hits me hard. I said, oh my God. So I turned around, natural reaction, turned around and elbow the person. I turned around and I looked, it was Gordy Howell. I said, oh my God, I'm going to pay for this. <laughs> so anyway, uh, second period, we were fighting position in front of the net and he got me in the nose. He broke my nose and, 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 uh, and, uh, and he said to me, he said, welcome to the league, Rook. And because there's only four rookies that broke in that year. There was Orr and I, and there's Ed Van Nimp and Mike Walton, the only four rookies that broke in. So uh, there's only 96 players league. So he said, welcome to the league, Rook. I never forgot that. But I got even in 72. Again, we were in position in front of our net in Philadelphia. And, and a guy threw the puck out of the corner to Howe, and I saw the puck come. So I grabbed him, and I fell down, and he fell on top of me, and I broke three of his ribs. <laughs> And I remember him laying on top of me. He's about 230 and I'm about 180. He said to me, oh, don't move. And I said, don't worry, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. The Flyers take it. Did you know anything about Philadelphia no. before that? The only thing I knew, Matt, is I watched baseball. I watched the, uh, the All-Star game in 1964, I think, and Johnny Calston hit a home mm -hmm. run in the 15th inning. That's the only thing I knew about Philadelphia. I didn't know anything else about it. And then I got to meet Johnny Carlson later on, and I told him that story. He said, I thought that was neat. <laughs> so what's yeah. it like when you first arrive in town? Is it culture shock? Is it, uh, you know, do you feel comfortable right away? What's it like? Oh, well, you know, it was, it was, uh, I remember we had training camp up in Quebec City, and then we came down to Philadelphia we came over the old Penrose Avenue bridge and it's still there today. And on the right-hand side, as we got down of the, of, of the bridge, I see this machine and there's old car parts and old cars and everything else there. And I, I said to the bus driver, I said, what's that machine doing? He says, oh, that's grinding up body parts. I says, okay. He says, well, you know, the mafia owned that. And the mafia get rid of people. They put them in the cars and they grind them together. And I thought he was kidding me, but he wasn't. So that was my first introduction to Philadelphia. And then, then we had practice at the at the spectrum, and they didn't have the they had the boards up, they didn't have the glass. And there was a guy named James Tate, the mayor of Philadelphia at the time, and he wanted to have a parade down Broad Street, welcome to the city. So uh, and we're supposed to go to City Hall to meet him. So we go down Broad Street and held there are more people in the parade, they're watching it. And uh I didn't think we we're gonna be here but a year. But anyway, uh and we go down to City Hall and he doesn't even show up for the function. I never forgot that. Seven years later, we won that cup and we had two million people show up for our parade. Frank Rizzo's a mayor, and I got up in the chamber and I said, I says, Where the heck was the mayor seven years ago when he came to the city? And didn't we even welcome us? He says, Oh, don't blame me. I wasn't the mayor. <laughs> Frank Rizzo, that was funny. But uh, we, you know, our first year, Matt, we were really doing well. And then uh, we lost the roof in our building, the, the, the Spectrum, eh? And there was a skating show there. And uh, so what happened was, we, we were like vagabonds. We play, had to play our last 22 games on the road. And of course, when you're playing on the road, you have no fans watching and there's no there's no games in the building, the spectrum. So consequently, the owner, Mr. Snyder, he was running out of cash to keep the, the, the franchise going. And uh, so what he did, 
He said if he doesn't get an infusion in cash, he's not going to be able to keep this franchise. This is an incredible story. So we, so we, he introduced himself to a guy named uh, Bill Bear, and he was in charge of the loan department for the Gerard Bank. And Mr. Snyder goes to him, and he tells him, I need an infusion of money or I'm not going to be able to keep the season going. And Mr. Bear was a big flyer. He was a fly, He was a Bostonian. He graduated from Harvard. He played hockey at, at Harvard. He informed Mr. Snyder that he would have $2 million in his account the next day, and the rest is history. Now, if this hadn't happened, Matt, I wouldn't probably be talking on, on this Zoom call today. So it's incredible how things change just like that, you know. And then we played St. Louis our first year. Our St. Louis our first year in the playoffs. We finally got back in the building for the first game of the playoffs against them. And, uh, and it was a very physical series. Really a physical. They had a big, bunch of big tough guys, and they beat us in seven games, and and they kind of beat us, our, beat our team up because we had a lot of small guys. And Mr. Snyder vowed this would never happen to another Flyers team. Thus, the Broad Street Bullies, I guess you could say, the infancy stages of the Bullies were starting to, were, were, was kind of born because he informed the scouts that the general manager he wanted big, more physical players that guys could play, and that's where the Flyers went out and drafted guys like Bob Kelly, Dave Schultz, Don Selesky. You know, guys like that. Of course, we had Ed Van Ipp and Barry Ashby in our team, and they were big guys. But anyway, that's the Broad Street Bullies were kind of born, you know, and, and we came into our existence really in 72 and 73 when the Bully 3 came, really came out very strong. And and we were a very physical team then, and, and we always felt it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. May the best man win, and that's the way we looked at it, you know. Did you feel after, like, that first year that this was a place you wanted to be for a while? Yeah. Yep, absolutely right. Because we were getting, uh, we were, I remember we played back to back games in early February against Chicago and Detroit. And both games were sold out. Then I realized, I realized this team, this, this city is for real for hockey. People started, uh, more and more people started showing up. I know we had one game in, in, uh, in November, there was a bad snowstorm. And we're playing the Oakland Seals and we had 3,000 people in the building and it was really a bad storm and a lot of people couldn't make it. So uh, Mr. Snyder uh, made a plea on radio, probably KYW saying, informing people, if you want to come down to the game, you get in for nothing. So we had over 3,000 people go up for the game. So that was kind of depressing a little bit, but in a way we understood because of the weather, that's what happened. And then we realized that we were starting to draw, attract more people all the time. And we're getting out in the community and do a lot of a lot of things for the community and uh, doing affairs and shows and that. And then we realized that we were very accepted, well, very well accepted. We had a real strong fan club in those early days, and and they had these events and uh, they were very supportive of our team. And and we realized uh, after the first season we got beat. Although we got beat, we played the playoff games and the games were sold out. We realized that we had something good here. That was the start of it. Time for a break on one-on-one. We will have more with former Flyers defenseman Joe Watson right after this. And we are back on one-on-one. Our guest this week, former Flyers defenseman Joe Watson. You are already established when your brother joins the team, I think in 72. Am I correct, Jimmy? Was that something that you guys had a feeling was in the works or was it just out of the blue? And how did you find out? It's out of the blue. It was out of the blue. What happened was I was in British Columbia. Uh, my my first wife, she was doing nurses training and, and she was a nurse, the Royal Lynn Hospital in Campbell's, British Columbia. 
And we had to go down to Trail, BC, which is about 300 miles down the road for a wedding. And the draft was going on. And I had no idea that they had drafted my brother. And then finally, Keith Allen finally got a hold of me and said that we drafted Jimmy and we want you to come down to Philadelphia for a press conference on a Monday. And they drafted him on Saturday. Well, lo and behold, I never found out till uh, till Monday morning that it brought my brother and I couldn't make it. But I told Keith that I represent my brother in contract negotiations. <laughs> Keith Allen, our general manager. So I was making about 30, 32 or 33 at the time, a uh, thousand. And and I went in and, and I dealt with Keith and I got my brother more money than I was making my first year or my, my fifth year in the National League. But my salary, my contract was up at that time at, that, at the end of that year so. I uh, I got more money for myself because it's kind of embarrassing. Here, your brother comes along his first year and he's making more money than you. So I said, I got to take care of this. So, but uh, yeah, and uh, that's how I found out my brother. We were driving back and somebody somebody got a hold of us and uh, said that that uh, Jimmy was drafted by Flyers. I had no idea, no what, idea. What was it like to play with him? Well, it was great. You know, he's a he's a gung ho kid like myself. You know, uh, he dedicated himself to his profession. And uh, he still does this today. He has a very successful hockey school in Aston Iceworks. He's one of the part owners of the Iceworks there. And they, they have a great hockey program there, Matt. They have four ice services and they're very busy. And uh, But it was really a pleasure, you know, to have an opportunity to play with your brother. We were the fourth brother combination ever in the National Hockey League to win the Stanley Cup in 1974. And so it says a lot about little area where we were from. So... It's very gratifying for both of us, obviously, to get an opportunity to play together. And we played together, I guess, six, seven years. And then I went to Colorado for six weeks and broke my leg. And that was it, end of my career. But it was really gratifying for myself and him. Yeah. That first Stanley Cup you you referenced, 73-74. Take me back to preseason heading into that season. Did you guys feel like we yeah. work, we've got we, a we, shot at this? We, yeah, we were we were beaten by Montreal. Uh, Montreal beat us, and uh, we won the first game of Montreal, and then they they won the next four. And the games are all very close. And the thing about the reason we got, I think we got beat is we might not maybe not quite as good as Montreal, but our goaltending wasn't up to stuff. And Bernie and Bernie and Perron had played for the Flyers, and then they traded him. And I think they realized in order to be successful, they had to try to get a good goaltender. They got Bernie back. He went to the World Hockey League and then the Flyers, I think he went to Toronto and the Flyers uh, made a trade for him. And Doug Favell was traded to uh, traded to Toronto and and Bernie came back to Philadelphia. And I remember the very first game we played, an exhibition game against the Rangers. And Bernie started the game and quite they got the Rangers got eight goals against them. <laughs> the fans are very, very upset. <laughs> but you know, lo and behold, uh, Bernie turned into a, a great goaltender, obviously. And of course, he had a great mentor, mentor in, in a guy named Jacques Plunt, who played for the Montreal Canadiens. He won many, many, many Stanley Cup for the great Montreal Canadiens. And he became a, a coach for the Flyers. And he really taught Bernie the angles very well. And of course, Bernie took it from there and became very successful. But but Jacques Plot had a lot to do with our success because he initially helped Bernie uh, try to rectify his problems as far as angles go. And then we realized uh, we got beat by them and we realized we had something special. I remember after the last game we played, we got beat in the playoffs and, and our, our great captain, Bobby Clark, said, you know, boys, we have something special here. Let's really take care of, us, take care of ourselves this summer and come back here really gung-ho to 
to really go. And we were gung ho to go. And we came back to camp and we started, and, and we just kept on going. We kept on going, man. We we were we were a very physical team because of the the elements we had on the ice as far as the players go, and we just knew we could become successful. We were kind of cocky too. We were cocky, which is nice. I think cockiness is important to have. You think you think highly of yourself. And sometimes that if somebody can knock you down for the most part, you're uh, as a team, but for the most part, you're, you'll be successful. And we were kind of cocky. I remember our, our, especially our second, where we won the second cup. We just knew we were going to win because we were that good. But, uh, you know, if we hadn't had great goaltending, you know, I mean, we wouldn't have won that first cup. You mentioned the cockiness and the physicality, Broad Street Bullies, obviously. Mm-hmm. This was something new for the league, wasn't it? To kind of have yeah. a, a whole team kind of that be the ID? Well, you know what? Boston was that way. Boston was a very physical team. Uh, and they were big and strong and everything else. And then and then and then we had at St. Louis a big physical team. There weren't a lot of them, but there were a few teams that were very physical. Uh, a lot of them uh, a lot of them were were counting on their speed and so on and so forth, their skill, but we we counted on our skill as well as our physical physicality. And I remember we played Boston. Now we go to Boston. We hadn't beat Boston in, in, in seven years, and they're building that in the finals of the Stanley Cup. And we beat the Rangers in seven games, a really, a really a tough series. And I thought the Rangers were the best team in the league that year. But we beat them in seven games, and then we had one day to prepare. We 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 won Sunday afternoon, and we had a game in Boston opening up on Tuesday. And Boston had beat Chicago. I think they beat them in five or six games, and they had seven days off. So I remember Boston was preparing for the finals, and they were preparing for the Rangers, not the Flyers. And they were kind of shocked that we beat the Rangers. So we go to Boston on a Monday afternoon, and the Boston Globe had a big headline in the paper, front of the paper, saying, this is anti- this, uh, this is anticlimactic. We just beat a better team to get the finals, and we're going to play for the finals of the Stanley Cup. And I says, who the hell made that statement? I looked, it was Freddie Shure who made that statement. So I asked Freddie, how can you make that statement? He said, Joe, we're not going to respect Boston. They got a big team. We got a big team. We're not going to show any respect. And we're going to go there. And this is the way we're going to play them. And what we're going to do, we're going to show the buildings were really warm in those days, Matt. And uh, it was 95 degrees out in late, late, little middle of May. And, you know, of course, the heat can take a toll on your body. You can lose seven, eight, nine, ten pounds in a game. But Anyway, this is what we're going to do. We're going to shoot the puck in Orr's corner. Every time he touches a puck, we're going to get in his way. Hit him, get in his way, make him throw the puck, not let him carry the puck. And he might dominate for the first three games of the series, but he'll get worn out, and we wore him out. The last three games when we finally beat them uh, uh, that year and won the Cup, uh, I had, you know, him and I were friends, and we met, and uh, there was there was a little room adjacent to the two dressing rooms, and I met him in there, and we were discussing, uh, you know, discussing our win and uh and uh he says you know you guys wore me out he says that was the plan to shoot the puck in your corner make him go back and get it and try to wear you down and we did because he dominated the first three games the last three games he was kind of worn out Matt but uh but that was Freddie Sure Freddie Sure was uh he was way ahead of his time Freddie Freddie way he'd tell he'd tell us something Matt and a month later we had figured out that's how smart we were <laughs> <laughs> and he he was the the head coach for for you, what was he like? I want to talk more about the Stanley Cup win, but as yeah. an aside, what was he yeah. like day in day out to play for? Because he was a little different, wasn't he? Yeah, he was very, very different. But you know what? 
he was a team coach. You know, a lot of coaches side in with management when they have when players have problems with management. He he will always side in with he always side in with the players. And we read that and we we appreciated that. So that's why we gave everything we had for him. And they were very good to us. The Flyers organization was very good to us too because they knew they had something special in the Broad Street Bullies. But uh, Freddie was. Like I said, he, he, you know, he said some of the greatest sayings in, the, in sports, with the day, walk together forever. And that certainly holds true with our, with, our, with our team. We still bond together. We have 13 or 14 guys that played for the Stanley Cup team at the time, still live in the Philadelphia area. So it says, says a lot about the area and, and how well we were accepted into this area. But Freddie was ahead of his time. He really was. He went to Russia there and, and learned the coaching messages with Russia. Then we played the Russians in 76. He knew what we were going to do to have to beat the Russians. He had everything down to a T. So that Stanley Cup, you mentioned Boston, six games. You guys win the sixth game, one to nothing to to right. win the Cup. What, yeah. you know, I think it was Rick McLeish scores in the first period and you guys, Bernie, you, the defenseman, the whole team makes it hold up. Yeah. What's that third period like? You're 20 minutes away from the Cup. It's a one goal game. So every play, every mistake is magnified. What was it like for that final 20 minutes to the finish line? <laughs> well, you know what? I don't think we were nervous because we didn't play nervous. We didn't make a, we didn't give a lot of pucks away and we didn't give the blue line to them because Boston, once they get rolling, they move the puck around and everything else. And the thing that, the thing that, that, that was important to us, we had a control or because every time he got the puck, he made a play. So we had to control him. We got to we had to prevent him from coming up the ice with a puck, because that was it. That was his forte, coming up the ice and making plays. And of course, he was so fast. He was so strong. He was kind of bull legged, so he's very strong in his skates. And uh, so it was important to control him. If we can control him, we have a good chance. Of course, they had they had Esposito, Hodge, uh, Cashman. They had a big line. Then they had uh, McKenzie. Uh, they had Freddie Stanfield and Busick. Uh, and they were loaded. They were loaded. They they had maybe 12 superstars to what I call superstars to our maybe three or four. And most of us were all plumbers. We always felt that we we controlled six areas of the rink. The four quarters and the two net areas were going to be successful. So we knew that we had to shut them down in the third period. And we did, we did a good job. I'll never forget there was about three minutes to go in the game. And Kenny Hodge comes down, a big right winger. He gets a pass from Esposito. He lets the shot go for about 30, 30, 35 feet. Out and Bernie gets his toe in the puck, and I'm on the bench. I could see this, and Bernie sticks his toe out there. And I said, when he made that save, I knew we were going to win the cup. There's only three minutes to go, but boy, that was that that puck was labeled for the far side. And he got his he got his right toe on it, and uh, and of course the puck didn't enter the net. But and then at the end of the game, uh, Orr shot the puck down towards the net. And I went behind the net and, and, and uh, I was the first, you know, I was the guy there to touch the puck. I didn't want to touch it because when I looked up at the clock, there were still seven seconds to go. And, uh, and I didn't want to touch it because it was icing. Once I touch it, then the face will be back in their zone with seven seconds. So I touched it about four seconds to go. And there was a guy named Wayne Cashman who was the closest to me. And uh, I touched the puck. And of course, by that time, people started going over the boards, over the glass. And they were all on the ice, and of course the faceoff would have been back in their zone. But uh, but anyway, I sh- I touched the puck, and I should have grabbed the puck. But there was a guy named Terry Christie played about four or five shifts in the game, 
He makes a beeline for the puck. He grabs the puck from the from the lines, but he still has the puck today. And that was the first earliest expansion he ever win a Stanley Cup or win a cup in any sports. I think the Mets were eight years. But he still has a puck today, and he took the puck right for the linesman. I never thought of taking the puck. I should have, but I didn't pick it up. But he still has it today. But but then, of course, we have parades, and the, the parades were, you know, the best part about the second parade, Matt, was streaking was in. And all these women, all these girls are climbing these poles downtown and all over the city. It was it was a sight to behold. And my mother, my mother and uh, Annette were down. They couldn't believe that, what they were seeing. <laughs> And we enjoyed it immensely all the way back. It was quite a sight to behold. It really was. You guys were so popular. I mean, even before you won the cup, the city, as you talked about, embraced you. Yeah. What you beat, you don't just win the cup. You beat the Boston Bruins, a storied right. franchise. What is yeah. that offseason like? Like past the celebration, just day-to-day life. I mean, did life change after that? Well, it, it, you know, I, I went back to I went back to British Columbia because my wife at the time, my first wife at the time, she was a nurse, she was a nurse in, in Kamloops, British Columbia. And so we went back in the summertime, but a lot of the guys stayed around and they they had they did events, they made a lot of I remember Ricky McLeish. Ricky McLeish, uh he told me he made twenty nine thousand dollars in 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 event. He did a lot of so many events. He ended up with twenty nine thousand dollars in cash. Incredible. So obviously he was. You know, all the players were reaping benefits from the from the Stanley Cup, winning the Stanley Cup, and they're doing events here, there, everywhere. The Flyers were really in demand, but of course, like I said, I went back to uh, back to Canada, and I enjoyed my time back in uh, in in British Columbia because uh, we got you know a lot of people were very excited. And uh, that we won the cup, a lot of my friends. So we had good times up there too, but not as not as not as good as it did in Philadelphia. Because, uh, like you said, the Flyers were a very popular team. The other city, other teams were really doing well. The Phillies were okay, but the the, the Sixers were having problems as well as the, the Eagles. Uh, so it was it was good for the Broad Street Bullies to be very well accepted in the community, and and the guys had a great time doing that. So after you win the cup the next season, what does it feel more pressure? Because I think it's one thing to climb the mountain. It's another thing to defend the peak. Stay there. Yeah. Right. So was it a different feel? Did you guys feel more pressure that second year or was well, it just, you know, like, we're good, that, we're going to do it again? Yeah, we, we said we're going to do it again. We, when we broke up, we broke up this end of the season. We had a party at Mr. Snyder's place and then we broke up and, and we had, a, you know, we discussed that we're going to do this again next year. And of course we did. So we really dedicated ourselves to uh, to get it being ready because we knew we we had a mark on us now. We had a target on our back because of you know everybody wants to knock off the Stanley Cup champions and regard what sport it is. And so we knew we were a target, and we came very well prepared, very well prepared. And uh, and uh, so uh, I know we went out, we went out and got Reggie Leach. We traded for Reggie Leach. We traded Bill Flett. And I forget another guy, but when we got Reggie Leach and Reggie, of course, he, him and Clark, he played junior hockey in, in Flin Flon, Manitoba. So, uh, you know, they were, they were, they were, they were good buddies and, and, uh, they played well together. Of course, they had Billy Barber on the left side. Billy could shoot the, shoot the puck and he was a very smart, intelligent player. So we knew we had targets on our back, but we were ready. We accepted the targets and we went out there and played and, and we were very cocky. I thought we were a very cocky team. And we showed it sometimes by just doing what we did, some of the things we did. But uh, we were very well prepared. Freddie had us well, very well prepared for next season. 
I remember the, the the start of the season, we lost our first game against, I think, the Islanders at home, 3 nothing, And uh, we were all upset because, you know, they they displayed a, a Stanley Cup uh, banner and everything else, and uh, and uh, we got beat. But that was that didn't that didn't uh, weigh in us one bit. We just knew that we were good enough and we were going to win this damn thing again. And you beat Buffalo in the finals in six games. Yeah. Um, so, what does what does the second championship feel like? How is it different? The same? Are the are the emotions different? Uh, is it more relief than jubilation? Well, how would you ca- characterize it? Yeah, you know what? I think it's more relief than anything else because uh, we knew we had a we had a target on our back, and we knew we were going to be. Everybody was gunning for our team, and we were looking forward to the challenge, and we accepted the challenge very well. And Freddie Shiro always had us very prepared. Him, the assistant coaches, there's a guy named Mike Mick- uh, Mike Nicoluk and Barry Ashby. Uh, they had us prepared very well for every game, every game. And I think we only lost 11 games or 12 games that year. Uh, we had a hell of a year. And then, uh, and then we played Buffalo in the finals and, uh, uh, Buffalo was a very skilled team. We thought we were going to play Montreal. We, we beat Atlanta and then, and then, uh, uh, Montreal was ahead of Buffalo in the series, two games to one Buffalo come back, win the next three games. So now we're playing Buffalo and, uh, and we're kind of glad we played Buffalo because Montreal is a big, fast team. And we didn't have the team speed that they had, but they were fast and everything else. And, and, and Buffalo was a very fast team, but they weren't as big as Montreal. So we could, we were a little, we, we knew we could push Buffalo around a little bit more than we could uh, Montreal. So I think it was a benefit for us to play uh, a Buffalo Sabres. And of course we won, uh, we won, uh, won the thing. And then, you know, uh, we just went on from there. Back-to-back and, titles in anything is tough. Like, how does the league look at you now? One t- one Stanley Cup can be dismissed as, ah, they got hot at the right yeah. time. But you do it two years in a row, that's yeah. saying something. And that kind of, I would imagine, the way you guys are looked at is different now. Yeah, they, 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 the league didn't, the league itself didn't appreciate our style of play. The thing is, wherever we went, Matt, we sold every building out. Every, every, everybody wanted to see, we go to LA, LA would have nine or 10,000 people. And the Broad Street Bully showed up in LA. There was a headline in the papers one day that the animals are loose and they're referring to the Broad Street Bullies. They're in town. This LA Times, LA Times, the animals are here. The animals are loose, referred to us as animals. And and we love that. We love that because that was intimidating to the other team. And so whatever we went we were very popular. People loved us, and uh, they wanted to see us play. I don't know popular, but they wanted to see us play. And we sold out every building in the league that year. Every god darn game we played, we'd sell the buildings out. So, uh, but they didn't like. They didn't really appreciate our style of play in the league. And uh, a lot of the teams didn't either. But it was too bad. I mean, the element, the the, the main thing is to win the game, to win. You know, and what uh, we did, whatever it took to win. And that's the way we played. And that's the way we looked at things, too. So then the, the following season after the second cup, the 76-77 season, um, you guys get to the finals. And I think you lose to Montreal. I think they swept you, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, they swept us. They swept us. What uh, does it been so long since you guys had been defeated like that? Did you feel like? a door had closed or was it just yeah. we ran into a better team? Yeah. You know what? I'll tell you what, 
So we start the playoffs and we win, we win, we win. And we, and uh, we didn't have Bernie. Bernie didn't play the whole playoffs and we didn't have McLeish. We didn't have, we, we lost Ricky McLeish in February and Ricky McLeish was our most skilled player we had. He was so skilled and everything else. And we didn't have him for the whole playoffs. So when we go up against Montreal, we got beat. We were leading, we were leading in Montreal two nothing or three nothing in the in the end of the first period or the second period or first period or something like that, if I recall. And then Kenny Dryden makes an incredible save off my brother, or else we go up four nothing. The game is over. Well, Montreal fought back, fought back, and we had Wayne Stevenson as our goalie. And he, he, Wayne was a good goalie in his, his own right, but he wasn't a Bernie Perrot. So I think if we had had Bernie, uh, would have made a little difference in that series, but. There's a guy named a guy named Pierre Bouchard for Montreal. Big guy, big tough guy. Never scored a goal all year. He got two game-winning goals in that series against us, and they beat us. I remember they beat us four-three in Montreal. The first game, they scored about a minute and a half. The goal, Guy Lapointe uh, scored on a on a bad goal, and then the second game we got beat two to one in Montreal, and Guy Lafleur scored for the blue line against Stevenson, and uh, and then we come back to Philadelphia. They beat us 3-2, and then uh, they beat us on an open net goal 5-3, and, and it was very depressing. And I remember I remember before the, the final started, uh, uh, I said to my, my first wife, I said, listen, uh, why don't we make plans to go to Aruba? Well, uh, she made plans to go to Aruba, and then when we got beat, I canceled the whole, I canceled the trip. We're not going. I says, I says trips are for winners, not losers. And she was, she held that against me for many years and, and uh, so on and so forth. But uh, uh, we just didn't go, we'd go to holiday. And I went home very quietly back to British Columbia and talked to my friends. I says, you know what? If, I think if we had had McLeish and Perron, it would have been a, it would have been a longer series. I'm not saying we would have beat them, but Montreal was a very good team. They went on to win four Stanley Cups after that. But but anyway, we were so close, but they just they were just a little better than us. And uh, I said, you know, injuries are all part of sports, obviously. But that really hurt us when we lost Bernie and Ricky McLeish. And then, of course, in 1976, Matt, we played the Russians. And I was going to ask about this. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, so make make you know uh, the Russians were beating all the top teams over here. They had two teams, and they had one. They had, well, one of the teams. Uh, the Soviet, uh, no, not the Soviet Red Army is the team we played. The Wings, they're called the Soviet Wings. They were playing against teams in the National League and they were winning all their games, except they got beat by Buffalo. But the team that we played, they were, they were classified as the best team in the world. Everybody thought they were the best team in the world. And they were a very good team. And I remember Freddie Shiro saying, you know, we're going to develop, we're going to, what we're, Freddie knew the Russians very well. He knew all the players very well. And he says, this is what we're going to do against the Russians. We're going to, we're going to have this system out in the ice. And I want our defense to stand up at center ice and our forwards call in, fall in behind and try to break up the plate before they get going. And what we would do, our players would take off with a puck and their players would be standing still because they're coming up. Because the Russians were never used to losing the puck. They always had control of the puck. If you watch that opening faceoff, they made about 20 passes and we stood there and watched them. And they were somewhat confused. They didn't know what to do. But anyway, we beat them four to one, and and uh, and uh, it was very exciting for us. And and I'm not, I I, I never really got involved in the offense that much, but I scored a shorthanded goal in the second period against the Russians, and uh, 
and uh, and we go up three nothing. And then uh, and after the game, Freddie Sherrill comes in and and uh, and says to us, you know, congratulates and everything else. And he he said to Joe, he said to me in front of all the players, he said Joe, by scoring that short-handed goal, you're going to set Russian program back twenty years. And you know what? They still haven't recovered. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the game they walked off the ice too, right? Yeah, they, they because you guys were too physical. The to mark the first period. Eddie Van Imp come out of that box and he hit. But Valerie Karmeloff, who I thought he was the best player in the world at the time, and uh, they just that was just their way of getting out of the game. They didn't want to play the game against us. So in a way, they walked off the ice, and Mr. Snyder went down to their their uh, their dressing room with Clarence Campbell, Pleasant Association, or ahead of the league, and told them, informed them they're not going to get their two hundred thousand rubles if they didn't come back and play. So the Russians proceeded to come back and play and. And we outshot him 49 to 13. We should have beat him badly, but Trechak was a great goalie. He was a young goalie and great goalie. And uh, and if he hadn't played well, we would have embarrassed him totally. But but in a way, uh, in night about four years ago, we went to Russia. I took our alumni team to Russia, and we played in four different locations. And we played in Red Square. And I got interviewed quite a bit over there because I was the only player who played the game in '76 game. It was over in Russia playing, and uh, and I got interviewed a lot uh, uh, by the press over there. And uh, these were all young people that were interviewing me. And I looked around. I said, "Well, you know, you weren't even born when we won." Oh, Mister Watson, it's the grain out of the history. What the Broad Street bullies did to the our great Soviet Red Army team. I said, "Oh, really?" He says, "Yes, we know all about this. In fact, we know that you scored a goal." I said, "I didn't score any goal, but you know, yeah, oh yeah, it was incredible." But uh, they never forgot that, but they were they were kind of we we embarrassed the Soviet Red Army team, and they were never the same after that. Their team never the same. So you mentioned your last year, you you get in, you're in Colorado and you break yeah. your leg. Yeah, uh, I'm curious because I think people know hockey in Colorado now with the yeah. Avalanche, and it's a huge right. following, a lot of success. The yeah. first iteration, the Colorado Rockies were not good. They were, there was not a, there was no buzz about them. They were kind of one of these listless teams in the middle of the country at the time. What was it like to go from what you had experienced here to that? Yeah. Well, you know, one thing, uh, there was no pressure to win, Matt. We were, we were, you know, maybe we're expected to win 20% of the games. And so it was, it was, it was, I, I, you know, I was bought there to try to develop healthy young kids uh, because they had a lot of young, young defensemen a core defenseman. So they asked me and I was a captain of the team for like six weeks till I broke my leg and that was it. But, uh, but I was a captain of the team and, uh, and I try to help the young kids, you know, uh, but I wasn't much of a help because I only owned their 16 games and I was finished. And I came back to Philadelphia. I was in the hospital off and on for a year and a half with my leg, but uh, it was a place where you went and you, you had no pressure, no pressure. You weren't expected to win as long as you could do a good, do a good showing on the ice for the fans. Uh, and so that the expectations were not very high there, which was, which was, you know, that was okay. You know, I wanted to go skiing and everything else. I couldn't go skiing cause I, I broke my leg and that was it. But, but uh, you know, it was very, very difficult to accept the injury. It really was. You know, I got pushed my lower back and I exploded on the boards and thank God I got my right leg turned around. And I and I and, and accepted the whole blows and and I didn't realize how severe it was. It was St. Louis where I broke my leg. And the and the, it's funny, ironic. I played my very first game as a professional in St. Louis Checker Dome in 1963, 
And I played my last game in the same building on November 11, 1978 in St. Louis. And uh, I didn't know how severe it was, but my bone had come right through my hockey sock. And between the pads of the pants, there was a little opening there and the bone was sticking up, but I didn't realize that. And there was a guy named uh, um, uh, Matt, oh God, I forget his name. John D'Amico, he was a linesman. And he and he, he, he came to me and he says, Joe, you okay? He says, I don't know. He says, oh, no, just keep your head down. He says, what do you mean, just keep your head down? He says, and then I, then I got to look at the fans because the fans could see my bone sticking up, which I didn't know was out. And uh, then I knew it was really bad, so they... It's, they carted me off the ice, straight, tried to straighten my leg out, and I ended up in the hospital six weeks. Then I came back to Philadelphia. And, and uh, But that was very difficult to end my career the way I ended my career. And Mr. Snyder said, Joe, he said, you should have never went to Colorado. I said, well, Ed, I wanted to play. I didn't want to sit in the bench or not, not I mean, not play in the games and dress for the Flyers because they wanted to develop young players, the defensemen, and they wanted me to sit there and help the players. You know, so in a way, it was very difficult, but he hired me in the hospital in St. Louis, and and I came back to work for another 30-some years with the organization. So if I go back in time and I tell young Joe Watson in Smithers, British Columbia, when he's 12, 13, what the future holds for him, would you believe me? <laughs> Probably not, no. No, <laughs> no, not, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't believe you. Gosh, you know, I never thought, you know, in my wildest dream that I would do what I've accomplished. I'd be very fortunate to play for great teams, you know, and great guys and great teammates. And I'm not saying that the Flyers, the Broad Street Bullies were the most uh, skilled team. But you know what? We realized with work, we had a very strong work ethic and realized we had something special here in Philadelphia. And Philadelphia is such a great city, great sports town. And the Flyers are very well accepted. But I never thought my wildest dreams it's been quite a ride for me, Matt. You know, I've had a chance to travel the world. And I want to tell you a story, another story. Gene Hart. Gene Hart. Did you know Gene? Did you know Gene? I knew of him. I never met the gentleman. Yeah. Well, in a way, he went to Russia in 1993. And he took his family to Russia. And and he's in Moscow for three or four days. And then he decides to go to Siberia on a train, three-day train ride. He gets up to Siberia. And he walks around. Now, I scored a shorthand goal against the Russians in 76. So he walks around. He sees these guys in this old prison with balls and chains around their neck. And he goes to the old Russian guard. And he says to the Russian guard, he says, how come those guys are balls and chains? And the Russian guard says, oh, those guys were on the ice when Joe Watson scored a shorthand goal. <laughs> so the moral of the story, you don't want to be in the ice when I score a goal. <laughs> Oh, that's tremendous. Gene Hart, obviously oh, the God, legendary play-by-play yeah. -play yeah. guy for the Flyers from their inception. Joe Watson, thanks so much. This was so much fun. I really appreciate you taking the time to to talk to me. Hey, Matt, thanks very much for uh, for asking me. I really enjoyed this, and uh, good luck on your endeavors, and good luck and, and good luck in the next twenty years and retire and have a great life. Okay, my friend. I hope I meet to meet you sometime. Me too. And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank Joe Watson for being our guest this week and looking back on his career. Now, if you like this show and you listen on Apple Podcasts and you want to do us a favor, go ahead and give us a rating and a review. Now, you can follow the show on Twitter at one on one pod. You can follow me on Twitter as well at Matt Leon 1060. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to join us again next week when we bring you another conversation with someone you should know more about.